0: All right, and thanks for joining us, everybody. We are live. It's time for Buy the Bush. We've got Barry Bean with us, uh, in this, this is our program for agribusiness, all ag headlines, news, and uh, Barry is with the Missouri Farm Bureau, but uh, today he is in the Capitol
1: itself. Today, uh, how are you doing up there, Barry? Well, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I've been up here in uh, Jefferson City for the uh, past couple of days. The Missouri Farm Bureau Board of Directors is, uh, has been meeting up here, as well as a few of the other commodity organizations. Missouri Soybean and Missouri Corn have got uh, meetings either going on or about to go on. But uh, we've been busy at Farm Bureau with, with our uh, normal January board meeting. And, uh, and I'm actually coming to you live today from the uh, state capitol, from the office of the uh, Senate Ag Chairman, um, my brother, Jason Bean. It was it was it was a tough interview to get, but uh, he's <laughs> he's going to hop on here um, in a little bit and give us a little bit of an update on what to expect from the AG committee and from the uh, from the Senate in the coming session. So uh, things are going well, and, and I'm enjoying the uh, nice weather and hoping that it holds long enough for me to uh, get back to the boot heel when uh, when this when this interview is over. Um, I, I understand Grant Dade says I may. Get get a challenge if I wait uh, if I wait too long. Yes, you will want to uh, yeah plan accordingly and hopefully we won't uh, keep you too long
0: to, to do that and make that uh, that trip back down because yeah that's what they that's what they're saying anyway. Um, all of that in mind, I know we are looking uh, per usual at our our markets, our commodities. Uh, can you tell us more about
1: what we are seeing there today? Sure, let me just uh, hop over here to. Uh Put, put my screen up and um, you should be seeing that just any second now let's see there you go um, mm-hmm. yeah today uh the uh the i'm going to look only at the december contracts the new crop contracts december cotton was off 83 points at 87.23 um december corn was at 591 and a quarter up five and a quarter uh soybeans were at 13.38 that's down one and a half Wheat closed at 74 or 744 and a half and uh, rice closed at 1699 And, uh, and as you can see from, uh, from looking at those changes, the market did not have uh, a very active day today. Now now granite and cotton is a little more active than in some of the other grains or than in some of the other commodities but uh but we've had high volatility in cotton um, in recent months so uh really haven't having a day that's under 200 points manages to be uh roughly comparable to say corn moving a nickel or soybeans moving eight or ten cents so uh you know, all in all it wasn't a bad day on the market we would have uh, just as, just as soon seen a lot more green on that screen than uh than we did but it was a good day in the market and um And just a couple of things um, underlying some of those, some of that trade, Um, cotton sold off a little bit, but it was up strong yesterday, and that was uh, mainly in response to uh, to a pretty strong export sales report that we got this past week. So uh, coming into Thursday, all eyes will be on that export sales report to see if those exports uh, continue. And part of what we saw today was some. uh, maybe a little bit of overconfidence yesterday in the market and some of those folks decided to go ahead and take uh, take profits on their position Uh, we've also seen oil up a little bit which makes polyester more expensive that makes cotton a little more attractive and uh, and that also makes uh, some of the competitors for uh, for instance soy and corn oil a little more expensive so as oil goes up that's generally supportive to the commodities Um, we're seeing a couple of other things going on. Uh, China still remains a, a up and down story. It's a little bit like watching a ping pong match as we see um, on one hand the the presumption of normal activities as China is allowing more travel. And on the other hand, they are still very strongly feeling the effects of COVID and uh, that is hindering their uh, their efforts to uh, open their country and uh, coincidentally open up their uh, factories and plants and processors, et cetera, um, as well. So uh, so that's that's one reason that we saw just a little bit of up and down action, but not a real strong directional shift in any of the markets uh, today. Um, in, in other news in the background, uh, we, we had a statement yesterday from, uh, from the USDA a joint statement from the United States Department of Agriculture and the United States Trade Representative um, on Mexico. You may recall that in 2020, uh, Mexico said that uh, effective in 2024, they were going to uh, not allow the importation of GMO corn, intended for human consumption. Now the vast majority of corn grown in the United States is GMO and in fact a a sizable percentage of the corn grown in Mexico is in fact GMO um, and they took this this action without any sound scientific basis and in violation of the terms of the USMCA the United States Mexico Canada Free Trade Act um, or agreement rather. So uh, we're seeing uh, USDA and USTR say that they are not making the kind of progress that they would like to see. Uh, Secretary Vilsack was down there in November. He he left a little bit frustrated. So that's a situation we'll be paying close attention to. Um, if uh, if Mexico should really stand pat on that, there is, there's a potential fallout, um, both humanitarian and for the markets, because Mexico Mexico's not actually grow enough non-GMO corn to uh, feed their own people, and uh, and Mexicans are very very fond of their corn. It holds a, a very strong cultural status there. Um, you know, several years ago, when there were some, uh, when corn prices got high and uh, the price of tortillas got above what uh, what many Mexicans could afford, they actually had the tortilla riots. So uh, so we'll be watching that with uh, with some interest. Uh, we're also seeing the commodities uh, fluctuate a little bit um, as uh, interest rates uh, remain high with no real relief in sight. Which, combined with inflation, is making uh, making commodities uh, more expensive and making uh, consumers a little uh, a little less likely to uh, to run out and uh, and purchase. We're through the holiday season, so we're seeing people keep a little more money in their wallets than uh, than they were in November and December. Um, this week, I know that there will be, uh, all eyes will be on the export sales report on Thursday. So, uh, I fully expect to see some more volatility in all of the markets that we are watching on Thursday. And uh, we're also watching planning decisions as, uh, as acres battle back and forth um, in our area, primarily between cotton and corn, but also to a, to a lesser degree between, uh, cotton and corn and soybeans uh, soybeans being the uh, fallback that uh, folks can go to uh, later on and uh, one other international note before we get into the other news is that um, we did see some uh, some data today telling us that uh, apparently China is uh, shifting some of their uh, some of their soy purchases uh, from Brazil to Uruguay and uh, I'm not entirely sure if that's going to be a long-term change. Uh, the Brazilian crop looks like it could be big coming in, although they've just had a short crop. So uh, that is a trend we'll be watching, and uh, if this if this continues, we could start to uh, be paying close attention to the uh, Uruguayan uh, soybean crop as uh, potentially a market mover. So there's there's a brief look at, uh, at at your market and a few of the things that are uh, that that are moving it. Well, last week we
0: discussed a little bit the importance of those uh, definitions by institutions as far as some of the different terminology goes. And I know that there is also a situation, uh, talk about the definition regarding uh, waters of the U.S. and and those rules. Can you tell us more about what we're seeing there, can you tell us more about what that means?
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah. The waters of the U.S., or WOTUS, as you'll hear it referred to in, a, in agricultural circles, um, it goes back to uh, to a rule that, that basically defines which waters are subject to uh, regulation by the EPA. Um, you know, as you, as you know, um, tra- traditionally, um, the EPA, uh, the federal authorities would oversee, as part of the Clean Water Act would oversee water quality in navigable waters. And uh, this of course applied to, to major rivers and major waterways like like the Mississippi, the Ohio, and the Missouri to, uh, to try to clean those up and, and maintain those and maintain, maintain an environment. Um, and then smaller smaller bodies of water and uh, ephemeral, waters which is to say like a, a, a wet spot on a farm that holds water uh, some of the time but not all of the time um, or maybe that was a very minor tributary or a drainage ditch sort of a thing was only subject to local authorities so uh, did, it did not require oversight by the uh, epa well in june of 2015 the obama administration introduced a new rule um, that has been referred to as the, as the WOTUS uh, since, so we'll just use that term moving forward here, and this rule broadened the definition of what constituted a navigable waterway, which included not only navigable waterways, but their tributaries and waters that flowed into their tributaries to include ephemeral waters. So, for instance, if you had a low spot in a field or a low spot in your yard or maybe a little slough somewhere that for a few days every spring, and maybe for a week in the winter, uh, would fill with water and uh, and then run off. Um, According to the new rules, those would have been subject to uh, EPA uh, regulation. Now, this was, of course, a, a major concern for agriculture, but also a major concern for uh, property rights advocates, uh, for developers. Uh, I mean, it could be something as simple as uh, doing landscaping in your backyard could require an EPA permit, which could potentially take months or years to, uh, to process. Um, when uh, this was introduced in uh, 2015, several attorney generals around the states. were um, sued the uh, EPA and uh, took, took the uh, new regulation to the Supreme Court arguing that this was a vast overreach of federal authority, that they were reaching federal hands into areas that, that should more primarily be regulated by uh, state and local interests, by people closer to the ground, um, which would still allow ordinary agriculture and ordinary landscaping, ordinary uh, the ordinary things that we all do on, uh, on land that we control. Um, that was tied up in the Supreme Court, bounced around between, uh, between various circuit courts and the Supreme Court for uh, several years. And uh, then in 2017, President Trump issued an executive order blocking the 2015 rule, which meant that it reverted to what the rules had been before. And that was, uh, those were rules that uh, most agriculture, most property rights advocates uh, felt like those were, those were fine. We had no problem. With uh, with the EPA regulating uh, regulating, say, a water or a chemical plant that, that flowed uh, directly into the Mississippi River, but we didn't want uh, you know just changing the, the course of a field ditch in forty acres um, on a farm to require a special permit from the EPA. So uh, at that point, the uh, the thinking was that we were pretty well over that hurdle, and everyone could go on and focus on something else. Well, the Biden administration announced on, uh, I believe it was December the 30th. Um, and you can draw your own conclusions about why you announced a major policy on December the 30th, but that uh, effectively meant they were taking away the uh, 2017 Trump executive order, which the argument goes would revert back to the 2015 rule, which reverts back to the uh, the original objections that uh, that we mentioned. Now, along the way, those those other lawsuits were dismissed following the executive order because they were considered moot. So, uh, so now we have a rush by some uh, states' attorney generals to um, to refile some of those lawsuits, claiming that this is an, a dramatic federal overreach um, and something that all of your commodity organizations, uh, Farm Bureau um, among them, uh, will be keeping a very close eye on, and they are very concerned with. But uh, certainly, here in Southeast Missouri, where uh, our issues have more to do with drainage than irrigation. This is something we will be watching closely. Um, you know, according to a map that uh, Senator Roy Blunt prepared back in 2015, um, lotus would have actually subjected a little bit over 98 uh, percent of uh, Missouri farmland to uh, to EPA uh, regulations. So, uh, so we will be watching that. Uh, we'll be watching that watching that pretty closely as as we move forward and. Um, I believe Senator Bean will be here in here in, a, in, in just a second here. Um, not, not here I hear him in the other room and I'll apologize if we have a little bit of noise um, here here in the office today. the Capitol's a busy place I'm and sure. um, actually I, I see the, uh, the the Senate AG chairman uh, coming coming now looks like, looks like he's actually enjoying an agricultural product as we uh, <laughs> as, as we come in but uh, let me let me introduce uh, Senator Jason Bean. Yes. The, uh, the gentleman from dunklin county and a uh, senator from the 25th district and the uh, senate Ag chairman so uh jason why don't you uh tell the folks on uh kfvs a little bit about what's uh what's going on in the uh, in the session this time
2: well thank uh, first of all thank you for having me on here and uh, you know starting out to be uh, a busy session seems like we hit the ground running which is always a good thing because sometimes government gets said we're a little bit slow but we're, we're moving pretty fast um, actually Senate ad committee uh, had our first meeting today uh, saw three bills come across all having to do with foreign land ownership or ownership of foreign land here in Missouri so uh, that's so definitely going to be a hot topic this year um, that we heard a lot about, uh, seems like, in the last year and some, maybe some campaigns. So uh, definitely that's coming up to a head that we're going to hear a lot about. You know, it's a tricky issue. Um, foreign land ownership, we've got companies like Bayer and Anheuser-Busch. Uh, we've got companies like Smithfield Ag that are, you know, good partners for our farmers, and we want to continue that. At the same time, uh, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, some foreign um Countries don't own land here, like China, Russia, Venezuela, North Korea, just to mention a few. So.
1: Well, so what other uh, what other priorities do you see uh, potentially coming out of the legislature this year?
2: Well, I mean, there's a lot of issues, but if we're specifically talking about agriculture, I think another one is going to be a water rights bill that we're going to have, uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, you cannot export water from the state of Missouri. Uh, state of Missouri has done a fabulous job in uh, maintaining our water supply, making sure we've got a good quality supply, and we want to keep our water. We've done really good, uh, once again, to uh, be good stewards um, of the land, and all we want to say is it's our water, we're maintaining it, we're not uh, exporting it. So
1: I think that will be a very, very big topic that we will deal with this year. Are, are, there, are there any other uh, hot topics that you're expecting to see a lot of uh, a lot of conversation about this uh, this session? You know
2: uh and, and this session uh say, dealing with ag specifically last year we had the eminent domain bill which uh, was passed out of here we also had the ag omnibus bill uh, which was a, a two-year process and had a lot of a lot of provisions in it uh, having to do with ethanol biodiesel uh, just a lot of issues um, and we passed that out of the senate so i think this year is a little bit of a quieter year like say foreign land ownership and, and water rights will be two big issues coming through this year
1: Super. Well, um, I know we've got. I know you can, you, you've got a few other things to do. But so, you want to tell us anything else about uh, the start of session? Or just how, did this, does it look like it's going to be a, a smooth sailing session? Or, or are there still a, a few big egos and big opinions in? A, In the legislature.
2: I will say this in the Senate uh, as if you follow us we've uh, definitely had our issues the last two years. Um, You know I was elected into this office two years ago and and definitely was uh, contentious uh, the the first two years to say the least. I think this year there's a different sentiment. I think people are ready to uh, put a lot of those things behind us so we've got some new leadership in place and I think we really see a path moving forward that Let's do what we were elected to do, come up here and represent the people instead of, uh, you know, dealing with a lot of kind of pettiness and, and infighting. And let's do the will of the people and uh,
1: put our state as a priority and let's move forward. That that sounds wonderful. I hope, I hope that uh, the rest of your colleagues have that, uh, that same uh, attitude.
2: I do, too. Uh, you know, farming was great training for me coming up here because uh, how many times have we planted a crop and then had a... Um, Hailstorm or whatever, take it out. We just go right back to work. But, uh, you know, we know what we're doing. There's not a lot of pettiness uh, as far as, you know, sabotaging tractors and all that stuff on purpose. So, like I say, hopefully this year um, we're uh, in a much better spot. And like I say, people seem to be wanting to get along. Halls have been almost extra busy, it seems like, uh, the first three weeks here. Um, And I kind of attribute that to people say, hey, you know, the Senate's uh, ready to get to work. They're ready to do some good things. So, I'll tell a lot more people here um you know my calendar is definitely much you know fuller than it's ever been so i think that's a good thing that's a good sign
1: one one more question before you go um i know that we have a lot of uh, a lot of freshmen in the senate and and quite a few in the house um how many of the new members come from an agricultural background and how many are uh, are active uh, farmers or ranchers Well, I'm not that sure on the House side. I know we've got Representative Dane
2: Deal that's come in. That's definitely got an Ag background. Um, Representative Gregory in the House as well uh, has that background. Greg Sharp uh, from North Missouri represents Greg Sharp. Um, and, and like I say, they, they've been there and that's that's great representation. Uh, Representative Hafner does a great job as well. Uh, that's all on the House side. Um, but on the Senate side, you've got Representative Jill Carter coming out of Southwest Missouri that has, a, has an ag background. Um, but, you know, that's something that's um, I've spoken about this a lot. One of my biggest fights in the Missouri Senate is urban versus suburban versus uh, urban. So it's great to have uh, more senators within that ag background. Uh, we've got uh, Senator Huff, Senator Brown, uh, Senator Carter, Senator Moon, who all uh, represent you know rural areas, Senator Burns, Scatter's cattle
1: farmer. So once again, the more we can get, the better. And I guess we are fortunate to have a both a governor and a lieutenant governor with uh, with ag backgrounds. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, that's fabulous.
2: Uh, you know, uh, Governor Parson does a fabulous job. Lieutenant Governor Kehoe, the first generation farmer. And, uh, you know, I've been on his farm and I'm telling you what, uh, just a great person,
1: hard worker, and, and he gets it. And that's what's so important for ag. Well, I think there's a lot to be said for someone who is a first generation farmer because um, that means that uh, they are either braver or they didn't read the whole book um, than, than a lot of people because it is, it is a big job to go from, uh, in, in Lieutenant Governor Kehoe's case, to go from being a, a successful car dealer to, to being a rancher.
2: Like I said, I've been on this farm and I tell you, it's pretty impressive because uh, pretty much everything he did, he built with his own two hands. And, uh, and that's very impressive because, uh, like I said, a, a guy that uh, came out of St. Louis, uh, from a, a single, single parent, single mom, uh, to being a car dealer and, um, you know, which, you know, his story is impressive, but starting out in the wash bay and working himself up to one of the more successful dealerships here in Missouri, um, to a first generation farmer. And like I say, he, he built that farm with his own two hands. I, I've been there and seen it, and it's very
1: impressive. All right. Well, uh, I think we've got about enough time to, to, to get to uh, to the invasive species of the week. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to throw out before we talk about a weed that you've probably... Uh, seen a few times
2: uh you know the one thing i just say it's uh, very humbling to be in this position to be elected as your state senator i invite everybody to please come up here come to our office it's, it's your office uh come up here we'll uh, arrange a tour for you love to have you you know love to have the input of the people and uh, once again
1: great to be on here all right thank you very much all right thank you senator Kenner, jason B, our uh our senate ag Chair um from the 25th district down in the southeast corner of the state um, right. In in the actual boot heel, not to be confused with uh, someone I was talking to someone earlier who said that they thought Perryville was in the boot heel. And, uh, <laughs> the uh, the greater the, boot
0: heel region, I suppose.
1: Is <laughs> I guess you can't really call it a metropolitan area at that yeah. point.
0: <laughs> this is true.
1: This is true.
0: All right. Yeah. Look, so do we in. have enough time to, to yes. talk
1: about our invasive species of the week? All right. Well. Uh, the, the invasive species of the week here, and I'm going to uh, share the screen. Because if I just describe it, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people will scratch their heads and be a little unclear on what it what it is that I'm talking about. But this is one that I am certainly familiar with. Uh, I've seen it on uh, on on our own farm and um, and on the uh, field or fence rows and uh, ditch banks um, around home. And I know these are all over Southeast Missouri. And it's the Canada thistle um which as you might guess um was was brought down to uh Missouri from Canada it's uh, considered an exotic um originally uh, came in for some uh, for some plantings as you I mean as you can see they're 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 fairly attractive flowers and they're also very very hard to kill and uh you know and if you happen to brush up against one uh the wrong way they can they can leave a reminder that will keep you uh, keep you thinking uh less than fine thoughts about our northern neighbors, but the uh, Canada thistle is actually officially a, a noxious weed. And uh, therefore, if you are a landowner and you see these on your property, um, under law, you are required to, uh, to eliminate them. And uh, the, two, the, two, the two primary ways of, of eliminating them are prescribed burns or a topical application of 2,4-D, and, uh, and of course, it is worth noting, since we have had both uh, both high winds and uh, and droughts in the last uh, couple of years, that uh, should you choose to uh, to eliminate the uh, Canada thistle from your lot, you do need to be careful about your prescribed burns, or to be to be very careful about using your uh, 24 D, so that you don't uh, create a worse problem for the uh, for the people downstream. So there's 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 a quick look at the. Uh, at the invasive species of the week this week and uh and actually i don't know do we have uh do we have a few minutes to uh to talk about atrazine or should we we need to save that for another week yes we've got we've got a little bit of time here
0: just uh just before four o'clock yes
1: okay okay well we've got um just uh yeah just a few minutes i can i can make this pretty quick but um corn producers are very familiar with atrazine it is one of the uh primary herbicides used um, in uh, in corn production, um, it'll leave corn alone, but is uh, but wipes out a, a huge broad range of weeds. Um, it is also one of the uh, one of the few herbicides that will reliably uh, knock out uh, Palmer amaranth or uh, or uh, Roundup resistant pigweed, which we've had huge problems with. And uh, we've been back and forth with the EPA over the use of atrazine over over the years. And uh, several years ago. Um, using uh, going through the best available research, they had settled on uh, that as long as concentrations in in runoff were below 15 parts per billion. Um, again, that is 15 parts per billion, with a B. That that it was okay. There was there was no evidence showing that uh, that atrazine higher than that level in water caused any any ill effects to uh, to, to humans, animals, or the environment. Uh, a number of studies, both by the EPA and, and elsewhere, uh, supported that. Well, the uh, under the current administration, they have done a review of a great many. Um, pesticides, herbicides, and insecticides that we rely on in agriculture, and they have issued uh, some new guidelines that are in the comment period right now for atrazine, and they have reduced that to uh, 3.4 parts per billion, or, or roughly one-fifth of uh, what what the old standard was, with no particular science to uh, to support it. There's no new study that shows that, uh, that there's an increased likelihood of uh, damage or harm to, uh, to humans, the environment, or to uh, wildlife at those levels. Um, and Some of the new uh, restrictions are uh, no applications on wet soil, uh, no application of atrazine if there is rain in the forecast for 48 hours moving forward, and um, also uh, no aerial application. That's not a huge problem, but also no applications above two pounds per acre Per year, which is uh, which is a little bit of a uh, little bit of a a challenge. If you have uh, if you do have a recurring problem, or if you need to use a higher rate, and there's there's a new pick list um, of various uh, combinations of of nozzles and spray rates that are that are allowable. But uh, but the American Farm Bureau and and Missouri Farm Bureau both, um, along with several of the other commodity organizations, have raised a red flag and said, while we are certainly uh, you know we are completely agreeable. To, to regulations based on good science. You know, we, we drink the water on the farms where we live, we live on the farms, our children play on, on the farms, our animals play on the farms. Um, you know, we don't wanna do anything out there that's dangerous, but when a federal agency uh, comes in and um, changes, the, uh, changes the, the allowable rate, Um, to cut it down to one-fifth of a level that was already below the level that would cause any harm, um, it raises some red flags. So uh, I believe the comment period for this is open. Certainly if you talk to the uh, the Missouri corn growers or United States corn growers, Missouri Farm Bureau or American Farm Bureau, you can get a little more information. And if you're in agriculture um, in the Channel 12 viewing area, you're certainly someplace that uh, atrazine is a very, very important tool in your toolkit. And uh, if you lose it, you'll you'll have to uh, change some of your planning planning strategies. So uh, so anyhow, there's 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 a little news there. I wish I could close on a more positive note, but uh, I guess the positive note is that it is still in the comment period. So we will be we will be watching that um, in the weeks going forward. But uh, just uh, to close on the most positive note, this week we are going to be paying very close attention to export sales. Um, especially on cotton, if export sales are strong this week, then we fully, fully expect uh, to see uh, to see a continued rally moving, moving up. If uh, export sales come in weak, then we expect to see a more continued volatility. Um, actually, either way, it's probably safe to bet on volatility. So, uh, <laughs>
0: sure.
1: Anyhow, there's the there's the, new, there's the news that fits. <laughs> All right, Barry Bean, thank you so much for being here.
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you. Let's do it again. (laughs) All right. Sounds great. Thank you to our audience as well. We appreciate you all tuning in and being with us here today. Uh, Stay tuned. We've got Heartland News at 4. You can tune in over Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, all of those locations. Check it out. KFES12.com slash live stream.